Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Oh man, I you know I'm excited because I was just hit with some news, and I'll let the audience know. Uh, we usually do a little prep, the host and I, before the show, and uh, he is not privy to it yet. So everybody out there uh, who's a Bay Area fan and has become uh, a hater of New York teams because of our host, uh, you should enjoy this reaction. <laughs> Well, you'll have every opportunity to let. First of all, am I coming through okay? Because I. Oh I'm yeah, yeah. You sound. Whole, you sound good. All right, because I'm using a whole different setup today. Um. All right. You seem very giddy with this news, so it's got me yeah, worried. we're gonna. We're gonna have to. All right, sir, uh, brace yourself. It has been announced by the New York football giants front office that Eli Manning has officially been benched and they will start. I don't even know his name. They got some rookie on the, uh, the team. And so there was a press conference about an hour after, I guess I haven't seen it yet, but the updates on my phone from ESPN say Eli Manning, very emotional, uh, in addressing the news coming down of him being benched. 
your thoughts? I think the backup quarterback's name is David Webb, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, so he's the kid out of Cal. Uh, I don't know where he's from. Um, don't care where he's from. Uh, <laughs> and I guess how many games are left? Six games? Six games. Yeah, yeah six games. Well, actually, no, well, six weeks, but five games, because everyone has had their bye at this point, I, I imagine. Right, right. So I guess they want to see what they got. But I think – if they wanted to do right by Eli, they should have traded him at the trade deadline. Maybe I agree like with Jackson, that. Jacksonville or someplace like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think, uh, at least to the public, a move like this can look like an indictment on the player getting benched, and I would be hard-pressed to say from the limited action I have seen of the Giants this season – in highlights and otherwise, and against the 49ers, uh, that their record is due to Eli Manning's poor play. Uh, They look like they don't have a defense worth a damn, if we're being honest. And their greatest playmaker on the outside, Odell Beckham, suspended or injured or something happened with him. Uh, They, yeah, so they they don't have a lot of talent. So to... So to say we're benching Eli can sound like a statement that, you know, it is as a result of poor quarterback play that we are not uh, where we want to be. And I think that, I mean, that's kind of rough. Again, I'm not a Giants fan, but that's why I was, you know, uh, not excited, but interested to hear your take on it. Who, does it say who made the announcement? Uh, I already, uh, I already deleted. I think it was the coach. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to tell me that they fired Ben McAdoo or Bob. Oh, I, no. let's, call him Bob uh, let's call him Bob McAdoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's next from what I hear, if the rumor mill's correct. But uh, but no, no. Oh, maybe ben, I mean, yeah, I, if, if he's not going to get fired, even though he's only in his second season. But, yeah, I think the team has uh, run out on him. That's what it sounds like. Because you mentioned about the defense, you, you do know they spent two hundred million on their defense. They spent a lot of money on the defense, and they're supposed to have a lot of talent on the defense. And let me tell you what, the Forty ers starting a rookie, C.J. Beathard, uh, it's terrible. Uh, our, our offense has been in the bottom of the league, and we were able to move the ball on the Giants' defense like they were not even there. So I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe, like you said, man, maybe they've just stopped playing for this coach. They've tuned out. I don't know, but I think they could have done Eli better than that. But I'm not all that upset. I mean, Eli is who he is. Other than the two, uh, you know, freakish runs to the Super Bowl and beating the Patriots, which will forever, uh, you know, endear him to the New York football giant fans such as myself. Um, yeah, he's been a mediocre quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many years has he been in the league? Sixteen years or something like that. It's when a long. Two thousand three, so fifteen years. Yeah, it's a, a long time. Thirteen out of the fifteen years, he's been a mediocre quarterback. 
Yeah, because it also one a part of the announcement right to my phone was this. He he had that the longest active starting streak of any quarterback going right current, and right. he was about to pass his brother, or he did pass his brother the other day, and was like four games away from passing Favre, and. Uh, and yeah, so that that ends the uh, that snaps the streak. Maybe, maybe Brett Favre called uh, <laughs> called uh, the top pass and said, "Hey, why don't you bench him for one game?" Yeah, right. Called in a favor. <laughs> Holy smokes! But uh, anyway, that was big news to me. I mean, I know I to me, kind of like you said, my perception from the outside looking in and not really following the Giants is that he was never anything really special but that uh you know he he got away with having some really talented receivers and a in a phenomenal Super Bowl caliber defense on all their runs mm-hmm. and um and so and offensive line and an offensive line yeah, he's kind of like Alex Smith was minus the rings you know mm-hmm. when Alex Smith is surrounded with talent and a good defense you know he he can ride the team to wherever the team is going to go uh but left to his own devices he's yeah he's average he's mediocre mm-hmm. so i guess it's time for the rookie to start well there you, there you have that that's what i wanted to bring to you uh and then to speak to your point on my end of things from your text the other night about uh what did you call him giraffalo <laughs> that's the new uh, nickname uh the uh, the coach just announced today in the press conference that he holds on Tuesdays that uh, that he is now the starter. So he been, just so you get appointed. the pronunciation right, it's Giraffalapo. Giraffalapo, got it. Yeah, <laughs> got I it. I don't I don't know what his real last name is, but that's his last name as far as I'm concerned. There you have it. There you have it. So you got uh, gone from Colin Pumpernickel to Jimmy Giraffalapo. That's right. Well, and and you got to throw uh, the the little the little six six game uh, C.J. Beathard era in there, I suppose. And didn't you have uh, a blame it on me, Gabbert, for for a period of time? We did. We did indeed. Okay. He's now with he's now with the Cardinals, blaming it on them. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, Actually, the announcement was pretty easily made by our coach because Beathard, it looks like he probably got hurt on that last play of the game on Sunday, and so he might have been. Actually, he I been think injured. he got hurt. I think he got hurt prior to that when he when he got uh, hit and his head got snapped on the turf. Yeah, yeah. So it, yeah, he was taking a beating all game, so that just might have been the the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. But um, yeah. Sounds like he might not have been been able to go this Sunday anyway, so it it made it really easy for Shanahan to make the announcement because there are people in both camps, you know, people that want to see him and people that want to put him on the shelf. So there you have By the that. Way, so just to wrap up this uh, uh, special sports segment, um, I know there's been a lot of calls for Jason Garrett's job in Dallas. <clears throat> okay. But um, I am not one of those, even though I do think uh, – I do not think he is – you know how some teams get to a certain point, but they need another coach to take them to that next level? Yeah, yeah, okay. I agree. So I believe – 
that what they need is another coach, but it has to be the right coach to take them to that next level. I don't know. I don't think Jason Garrett is that guy to take them to the next level. So uh, to me, it doesn't make any sense to fire him in the middle of the year or, or with six, five games to go, because who, who are you going to bring in, to be honest? No, you wouldn't. You'd do one of those. You'd promote one of your coordinators to to fill in as interim until you could make the decision. Um, however, I would like to just, for those with very short memories, and I'm talking about 25-year-plus memories, if you recall, how old were you in 93? Oh, ninety. Well, I was born in '84, so I was the tender age of nine. Whether or not okay. it was after January, the month of January. Okay. Well, in the '93 season, when Emmett Smith held out for the Cowboys. Yep. For those first two games, and the Cowboys lost those both games. Now remember, they were in the middle of when they had the Great Wall of Dallas, the great offensive line. Yep, yep. They had Michael Irvin, they had Troy Aikman, and they had uh, a top three defense. That 92, 93, 94, 95 run, their defense was always either number one, number two, number three. Now, they went 0-2. They lost the first two games on Emmett Smith. They looked terrible. They couldn't move the ball. The offense just sputtered until Smith came back. So okay. when I hear the talking heads talk about, well, they should be able to get it done, you know, next man up with Zeke out. These guys must really, it must really be uh, in the moment thing. Let's forget about what happened when there's a, when there's a great analogy for this, i.e. Emmett Smith, mm-hmm. um, not playing and what happened to the, to the team and more specifically the offense. Yeah, yeah, he was that important to the offense that when he wasn't, when he didn't, play, and by the way, he only missed like four or five games throughout his whole career, right? Right. But when he did not play in that during that dynasty run, they did not win, and they looked terrible. Then and again, that's with Hall of Fame quarterback Troy Aikman, Hall of Fame wide receiver Michael Irvin, and if you want to put them as a unit, Hall of Fame offensive line in front of them. And they look terrible. Hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I'm not a big fan of that. I don't buy in to that whole cliche next man up garbage. Because uh, next man up. Like, there's a reason the guy who just got injured is on the payroll for 20 mil a year. And the guy replacing him is on the payroll for the league minimum. (laughs) Like he's the, the, the backups are not valued as highly as the starters because they are not as talented. There's no two ways about it. So the whole sure, try and rally the troops and you don't want your team to feel devastated. We lost a really good player. Now we can't win. But I mean, uh, let's have some honesty as an approach here. There is a reason the stars and the starters are who they are and the backups are who they are. So, you know, you're good. There's, there's going to be a fall off. That's the bottom line. Especially, especially if they're, if they are, you know, 
all pro talents. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you not just I mean? the starter for your team, but these are like pro bowl or, yeah, all pro talents. I won't even say pro bowl because that seems to have been watered down. To me, it's That's it, true. Yeah, all, true. all pro. Yeah, all pro. Um, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, so if you're an all pro talent, which Ezekiel Elliott is, um, I don't care if you – I mean, they, they have the, the backfield by committee, even though they released – what's his name? Um, McFadden, McFadden. But none of those guys scared anybody. You know right, what I'm saying? right. So, yep. But just think of that analogy or go for you, since you were only nine years old, go back and look it up about how they did without Emmett Smith, especially those the first two games of 93 season. And it was like the world was coming to an end. Charles Haley had a hissy fit, you know, tore apart the locker room in the, you know, after they lost the second game to start the season. Cause remember they were trying to repeat as Super Bowl champs and they started 0-2. Right. And then they went on to become the first team in NFL history to win the Super Bowl after starting 0-2. But, you know, he was holding out, you know, and, and rightly so, because he should have been the highest paid running back in the NFL, but Jerry Jones didn't want to pay him what either equal to or more than what Barry Sanders was making. He ended up paying him equal to. Um, but he showed his worth just by the fact that they couldn't win. So there you go. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and Ezekiel Elliott's uh, one one heck of a talent. So, so they're kind of stuck in no man's land in terms of, I mean, you know, you're one of those things where you know, even if you end up seven and nine, six and ten, eight and eight, you know, then then the the draft becomes a crapshoot. You know what I mean? Right, uh, right. Because you you basically get up to you know pick fifteen, six, you know, fifteen and up so to speak. So it's like, damn, are you going to get a top tier talent really? But we'll see. We shall see. I, I don't have them uh, winning against uh, Washington on Thursday. I have them. Uh, if I was a betting man, I would say, uh, give me 10 points and I'll, and I'll bet you. But I think uh, Kirk third cousins is going to dice, dice and slice the secondary. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, well, and it's yeah, and, it, and it's tough, too, because everybody knows uh, a great help to any defense is not just a good offense, but a ball control, time-consuming offense. And when you can pound the rock with Elliott, you go on six, seven, eight-minute drives and end with a touchdown and half the quarter's over. Your defense is fresh every time they come out on the field, right. which is a good way to cover up a defense that's not superb to begin with. Right. But you right. get a defense who's mediocre at best, and then gas them out. Uh, that's yeah. You're and then you're up. Ugly. You're up against. Yeah, it gets, it gets ugly against a good quarterback. So it gets ugly real quick. <laughs> I mean, Philip Rivers reminded me. Uh, he reminds me in terms of the way he moves in the pocket of Dan Marino after Dan Marino tore his Achilles. Yeah. Um, so he could like his window in the pocket was very small. It was like phone booth, right? Yeah, and yeah. The, the way he's able to stay alive to like the very, very, very last second and just dice you up is it's amazing. Yeah, he is. He is. He is one heck of a talent. That's for sure. All right, extra long sports report today, but it was warranted. <clears throat> Absolutely, and we got a 
we'll we'll explain the the uh resemblance or the the irony I should say of the song that is going to lead us into our topic but we'll we'll drop that on you guys right now and then get the explanation well, in a little bit before you, before you do you that, want to explain just, it first yeah no I just want to let our listeners know that um so today officially uh we're at season 4 episode 2 uh but November November 17th to be exact was our four four year anniversary of our first official show, even though our first unofficial show was October twenty fourth, the senior show. Uh, but <clears throat> the first show in our series, official series of Rotron Recovery, was November seventeenth, two thousand fourteen. So we're now right. episode two start of season four um it's also we're coming up this thursday on the 11th anniversary of the passing of the great joe williams former employee of our common ground best friend of your host that's right that's Um, right and so uh, we, I do want to get in one story, and our songs are kind of, you know, off of Joe's uh, greatest hits list. It's perfect. So drop the song first, and then we'll tell why, why, what's, why we find this song. So the iron. Well, we will, yeah. So fitting. We will indeed. Uh, 
if I was a little bit more uh, quick thinking back in the day, way, way, way back in the day, when I was uh, roaming the floor as a counselor at Swan Lake, Daytop Swan Lake, I would have uh, said, let's uh, <laughs> pipe this into our PA system every time we have a split teeth, let the family oh, yeah. know that uh, we've lost another one, unfortunately. Um, so, yes. When, when, when I think of our topic, the tragedy of the AWOL, this song to me just fits it. The whole vibe, the words, the, the guitar, the lead guitar, everything just fits it. <clears throat> um, so maybe one, one day I'll try to figure out how to get it into our current facilities. We got to do that. Yeah, that would be, that would be incredible. So, this just came upon us um, as a result of uh, a not too long ago experience. It, you know, it's it's rare, I think, to often get into someone's head a little bit as to you know how they think and why why they're doing what they do, and it's even rarer. That's a word to get into the head of someone who decides to cut their recovery process short, leave treatment. That's what we mean by AWOL, folks. Um, we know it's an Army term, but... <clears throat> and uh, suspend their recovery, so to speak, and kind of engage the relapse. Why do I say engage the relapse? Because those of us who know know that the the act of picking up and using again is is not the beginning of the relapse. The relapse started long before that, or sometime before that. And the the ultimate end result of all of these this process is the act of picking up and using. But the using isn't the start doesn't begin there. But unless someone returns, do we get an opportunity to kind of, hey, you know, what was going on and, and get into your brain? Now, I had that opportunity over the years, um, and I didn't have it recently, but I did have the opportunity to talk to a few um, clients who experienced a relapse and um, unfortunately, we lost a couple of these clients after they come back. We engaged back into the recovery process and then ended up uh, sledding and leaving the program. And as a result, suspending the recovery process. <clears throat> but the conversation I had with them prior to leaving was very uh, telling for me. Um, Sounds like rain. Like rain? But, yeah, like, you know, like it's raining, but I don't see yep. rain. I'm back in the usual bunker, by the way. No longer, <laughs> no longer at the remote remote with the dog. Um, but so, you know, names will be left out to protect the, uh, the innocent or the guilty, whichever way you want to look at it. Of course. But so it starts with the 
or I, I asked them to, you know, I gathered the crew that had experienced this relapse around to kind of have a conversation with them. And one of the things I realized right away is that there's not a lot of uh, deep analytical or deep self-analysis going on. So it kind of has to be prodded and pushed um, to get the focus off of the, the recent act and, you know, the, the act of using and shifted to analyzing how did this come about? And when I got to talk to these uh, gentlemen, they were locked into just what the experience they just had. They, would, they couldn't get out of the fact that they just had relapsed. So I told them about the 48-hour rule, which you know very well. That's we right. About, you know, That's all we'll give you. And, and, if, and if, I could have, if I could, you know, petition the OCG legislature to make it 24 hours, I would. But I've been rebuffed. <laughs> um, I may bring it back. I'll try again, but I've been rebuffed. So 48 hours to, you know, be down in the dumps, be depressed, feel bad about what you've done. And that's it. Then the focus should shift to self-analysis along with peer-pressured analysis, meaning your peers are also talking to you, confronting you, and, and helping to push you deeper into understanding how, how did you get to where you, you know, to the point of deciding to use or actually picking up and using. So a couple of th- these um, clients were together and it was a familiar story. They went to church. Okay. And on the way back from church, uh, ended up picking up and using. And, and how for, came- for a little for a little context, even though we're not dropping names, will you give the listeners the length of uh, of recovery? I how long they'd been in the program prior to this uh, this leaving the property to to go uh, to a church event? A couple of months. A couple of months. Okay, so the, it wasn't like months. the first week by any stretch. Okay. They were in yeah, a couple of months. So somewhere in that range. Maybe on the short side of uh, sixty days, if anything. Okay. Okay. Um <clears throat> but I wanted to so when I asked them, so how did this come about? Um, it said, Yeah, we were walking, you know, home from church and, you know, saw somebody and blah 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 and then, you know just how it happened. And I said, That's not how it happened. <laughs> Right. Said so that's not how it happened. You got you have to dig deeper than that. You have to dig deeper than that. And so I kind of walked them through, you know, this step step by step. Said so, so the first thing you have to ask yourself is whether or not you made this decision before you left the facility to go to church. And if the answer is no, then you have to go step by step. When did you start thinking about it? And so it didn't happen until you know, church was over, they got out of church, and they were on their way walking back from church. Somebody approached them in the car that one of them knew, hey, what's up, what's going on? Hey, you know, you know, and I guess the certain language that's used to, to, to indicate 
I got something, are you down, you know, with it, et cetera. Um, and, you know, one of them said yes. And then the other one just went along for the ride, you know, went along for the ride, quote unquote. Sure, sure. So the one that went along for the ride, I said, well, why didn't you say, no, that's okay, we're good. And, you know, put your arm around them and just keep keep walking. And he said, well, because I wanted to, you know, use also. So okay. And then the one that kind of was the initiator in terms of responding to the other party, I said, well, why didn't you say to the person that said, hey, what's up? Hey, nothing, you know, I'm just, you know, going about my thing, heading, you know, heading home, you know. And when they asked if you were down to use, why didn't you say, no, I'm good. Thanks for asking. And then just keep on stepping. Yeah, Same answer. right. Because, you know, I felt like using too. But say, so you got to get to the bottom of where this quote unquote feeling of wanting to use came from at that specific moment in time that you could not figuratively put your hand up and say, no, I'm not down with that and keep on walking. But instead, fed into it, made the decision, and then said use. Now, by the way, as a side note, on all of this up until this point, uh, th- this point of information, by the way, I have always taught counselors, when someone relapses, don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. Because if you take it personal, you can't then help them get an understanding of how this relapse occurred so right. that they have an opportunity to prevent it from occurring again in the future. Because if you think that they failed you or they failed the program, no, they didn't do any of that. They failed themselves from that moment. But I have to add, when I said, oh, so after you guys picked up and whatever, where'd you guys go to use? And they said they went back to the church. I was like, oh, my God. How could you defile a house of worship (laughs) in that manner? And, you know, I gave them the whole spiel about that. You know, all these churches around here that our clients attend know us, know of OCG. And so when you step out and go to these places, you're, you're representing the family, you know, the staff. You're representing OCG when you go. They know where you're coming from. Um, and so, you know, they'll always, they'll eventually find out what you've done on their property. And, and you don't want them to have a negative view of people that are in recovery or people that are in a treatment program trying to get this recovery thing. And when you do things like that, you kind of, you know, push the needle on the other side of how they kind of view addicts and people trying to get their act together. So don't do stuff like that. You know, go, you you can go anywhere else to use outside, but you know, you don't go into a house of worship to do that. Right. Right. So they kind of got that. And so my, my, my marching orders to them and my parting words to them was to, you got homework to do now, which is to, to get underneath. And I, and I said, by the way, even though both of you were a party to this, it doesn't mean that you, both of you can't confront or care front each other to get to the bottom of how this came about. The homework obviously was to dig deeper, find out, how did it get to this point where you so easily, uh, you know, gave in to, you know, the entree by the, fr- the person that you knew in the street? 
I said, because you're going to be seeing people in the street all the time, all the time. You know, you know, Mr. Producer, these people live in the neighborhood. That's correct. That we treat. So right. there's no running, there's no hiding, you know, or anything like that. I mean, the only safe haven is when they're in our, in our, you know, in our facility. But when they step out to go to church or to go to the doctor or to go, you know, to a court appointment or what have you, you know, they're going to see people they know, and so they're they're always going to be tested, literally and figuratively. Um, and it can't be that every time that you are, are, every time you see someone you know or see someone from, from back in the day or whatever the case may be or back when you were in that life, you just wilt under the, you know, under the, I wouldn't even call it pressure because it's not like there's a tremendous amount of pressure being applied. It was just a, hey, what's up? You know what I mean? So the person just made an entree to you to see if you were receptive to their entree. And right. the question that you have to answer is why didn't you rebuff the entree respectfully and with dignity, of course, I'm not saying you have to get rude and out of order. You can respectfully in a dignified manner, rebuff the entree. Okay. And, you know, develop, and this is where role-playing comes in. And we did a little bit of this so role-playing uh, develop responses that you can use so that you can be respectful Speak to where you're at if you need to, and keep on stepping because you got to get back to the facility. But even if you didn't, let's say you had to get home or you had to get to work or wherever, you had to go about your business, you got to be able to do that. <clears throat> and so, hence our title, The Tragedy of the AWOL. But, you know, both of those guys mm-hmm. ended up leaving. And to me, that's a tragedy. Right, right. Um, because one of the things that they were kicking back to me in terms of a, a question is, you know, what do, you know, what do we do and, you know, about, you know, when you get these cravings, you know, and that's a real, that, that's real, real deal. It's a real question. It's as real as it gets, you know, when, when, when the craving hits you, whether it's, you know, feelings, thoughts, doesn't make a difference. So my answer to them was when you get cravings, Okay, that is a signal to you. Start asking questions of yourself. And the reason why you have to develop the ability to ask them of yourself is just in case, just in case there's no one else around to ask the questions of of you. You have to ask them of yourself. Why why am I feeling like this? Why, Why am I feeling like I want to use? What's going on with me right now at this moment in time? So one of the things we were able to do with the the four of them was to kind of pinpoint what was going on at that moment in time in terms of how they were feeling. And they were all going through different feelings for, for various reasons. We talked briefly about it has to, in order for the, this recovery thing to actually take hold and work, your feelings and I repeat, your feelings cannot dictate what's going to happen to you. And in this particular circumstance, for all of you, all four of you, your feelings controlled everything that transpired. 
and that just can't be moving forward. And so it was my hope by just taking that time out to kind of, you know, sometimes you know how we have to, you know, sometimes it's better to draw a big picture, blow it up, draw a big picture to get them to kind of understand um, how to use this experience that you've just had to help catapult you forward, not backwards, but forward um, with some new knowledge, some new ammunition, um, et cetera. <clears throat> and because they left, they didn't get an opportunity to kind of exercise that. Because I believe it was maybe less than a week after that, you know, the relapse that these guys left. Okay. Yep. So it was, it wasn't, when I say, I'm going to say it, it was disappointing. Not for, I don't mean it personally. I'm just saying I'm, I was disappointed for them um, because I think they, they, they definitely had the two gentlemen that did leave had very good potential to to get this recovery thing, even if they had to kind of struggle through this first trimester, which it is. And you know, and you know the first trimester is a, the struggle of life and death. Oh yeah, you know it's I mean? yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. They're like, uh, you know, the death part, and and we're not saying this to be dramatic, of course, but it's like, you know, they're pulling they're pulling you down by your clothing, trying to drag you back under, and you got your hands on the top of the barrel, you know, and you're just holding on for dear life, trying to get through this first trimester, which is where you experience the cravings the most, and the thoughts the most, and the dreams even the most. You know, how many talk about the dreams that they have and, 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 and not think that it's normal, you know, that you're going to dream about using and they're going to seem, I mean, real, that they shock you awake out of, out of a dead sleep, you know, so it's almost like a nightmare. Right. Yeah. No, did you, did and, you have that, dreams, Mr. Producer? Yeah. I was just going to say, and that happens, uh, some of them, yeah, in the first trimester, definitely, there there were definitely some dreams there that would wake you up or you'd wake up not feeling very good. Um, thoughts, you know, even sometimes just kind of hard to sleep because, A, there's the physiological reaction that's taking place. Your body is, you know, uh, detoxing, essentially. Right. Uh, then you've got a bunch of psychological and emotional stuff going on because you're thinking about... Uh, you know, maybe there's cravings there, this desire to get back to your old lifestyle. Uh, whatever circumstances put you there, you might still be upset at those people or those things. And then you're processing all this new stuff that you're hearing in these groups and these staff and everybody like, we're here for you, all this support. and You want everybody to shut up. And uh, it's just there's this whole combination, this whole mix of stuff that's going on, which can make it even sometimes hard, hard to sleep at night as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's funny that you mentioned the dreams because, uh, I know plenty of people who experienced a lot of that way deeper into their treatment, even up until maybe like phase four, it was phase four back in the day today, that would be considered level five or phase five contingent upon what part of treatment you're in. Um, but the relapse dreams where, uh, you dream that you relapsed and the dream was so real or vivid, it would wake you up out of a dead sleep and people reported sweating or being nervous, uh, that they had just relapsed and thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to get kicked out of the transitional house now. And, 
you, your anxiety's through the roof, and then you realize it was just a dream, and oh, a breath of a breath of fresh air and a sigh of relief. But yeah, that, that's how it ends. Didn't we still book him a haircut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Just for even, just for even having those thoughts. Absolutely, the confrontation was on. Pretty funny, oh, but yeah. uh, but yeah, uh-uh, definitely, absolutely. So one of the, you know, one of the, I, I put it in our show description about the age-old question, you know, is there any intervention possible when someone makes their mind up that they, they, they want to suspend their recovery process, you know, they're not ready. Um, is there anything we can do to change your mind? Um, I mean, I, I've experienced, you know, as a counselor, being able to talk someone out of splitting. Um but it is certainly more often than not when the mind is made up and it, you know, we don't know what's calling it, you know, whether it's, uh, I mean, cause they can give you all different reasons, but um, <clears throat> I would say more often than not, when the mind is made up, there's very little that can be done. Um, Especially, I mean, even with people that you think you have a very good rapport with, um, and you know that there's something else going on when you try and, you know, use that rapport to kind of intervene, and it appears that that rapport it doesn't even exist in that very moment. You know what I mean? So, like, it's almost like they the the drive to do whatever it is that they're going to do or want to do has so overwhelmed them that it's like you don't even know them anymore. Like the rapport is no longer there in that very moment. There's nothing you can do to talk them out of, you know, what they're about to do. Right. Okay. And there's and there's a tragedy in that. That right yeah, in we, that very moment. I agree. I've seen that. So hopefully, there's always hope. It's always hope. Hopefully, uh, those who do make the decision to AWOL, leave, self-discharge, suspend their recovery process, um, I would give them the same message I give to those who are transitioning out of treatment, even in in a positive fashion, and that would be do your best not to make any life-altering bad decisions. Absolutely agree with that. Now, we, we have mentioned many times on the show, we've talked about it even in detail about how for, for most relapse is going to be a part of their recovery. And we're not predicting that by saying that. What we're saying is that just historically for most people, um, more often than not, they're, they're going to experience a relapse. <clears throat> and the hope, again, there's that word hope. The hope is that they, they don't go into a full out, you know, blown out, relapse, but that there's a relapse episode, boom, and that it's arrested, no pun intended, um, and caught and, you know, 
shifted and redirected and, and they get back on track, um, etc. But once you, and when we preach this to our clients all the time, once you get to the point where you are resumed using at a level where you were prior to coming into treatment, um, then it becomes harder to arrest the relapse. And so we hope that uh, is a mechanism that these, uh, anyone who able, these guys that we're talking about today uh, are able to arrest it and make it back. So that's the tragedy of the AWOL. Especially yeah, around uh, the holiday time, Thanksgiving. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to mention that 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 obviously kicks up a lot of stuff for some people because it's a very triggering time for a multitude of reasons. Um, but that's also why I believe in the first trimester we spoke specifically on that episode about uh, if nothing else, if you don't do anything else or accomplish anything else in the first trimester, just don't leave. Let right. that be your accomplishment, the fact that you're still there, um, right. you know, and, and this speaks to that, you know, because it might be difficult and you're going to go through everything you're going to go through. And we're not saying that you're just going to strike a change immediately when you come. But if you give you give yourself a chance by just not leaving and then allow the rest to unfold as it may. I agree. Well, that's all I got, Mr. Producer. Um, I have remembered that I do want to. Uh, you wanted me to remind you about telling a story, uh, a story maybe pertaining to Mr. Joe Williams, the great. Yeah, Joe Williams, a Joe Williams story. I want to just carve a little bit into our uh, show topic time. But we are done with the topic. Unless you have anything else to say, Mr. Producer, to close it out. No, I agree. Other than, you know, if if there are any folks out there listening who are currently uh, attempting this life of recovery or are in a program and within your first 90 days, do yourself a favor and just stick it out. May not be uh, easy right now. It may not feel like the best thing or the right thing, but uh, speaking from, you know, experience both through walking it and uh, seeing it say, just, you know, if, if you don't do anything else, just give yourself a chance and don't leave. Or, or if you're listening and, you know, anybody out there listening who knows somebody who's going through, you know, that initial period, just encourage them to, you know, no matter what happens, just, uh, just stay. Even if you don't participate, even if you don't, whatever that first 90 days, whatever roller coaster it may bring, just stay. Uh, and that's that's all I would add to that. Uh, I second that entirely. Well stated. Well stated. <clears throat> so with that, let's move seamlessly into the Greg Henry story. Let's do it. I'm I'm excited. <laughs> I love story no. time. That's right, story time. Now, obviously, no one else knows who Greg Henry is, and you shouldn't know who Greg Henry is. And um, you've heard me say 
that uh, throughout our childhood, teenage, and young adulthood life experiences, there were many experiences that we had where, uh, what, is there a show that used to be on that was called Saved by an Angel? Okay. Does that sound familiar? A show like that? It sounds familiar to me. Saved by an Angel. Saved or something by an Angel. Angel. Uh, the, only, the only show I've heard uh, Saved by Anything is Saved by the Bell. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Well, <clears throat> I've stated here many times when uh, uh, telling a Joe Williams story that there were many occasions we were saved by an angel and lived to tell about it. And this is one of those uh, stories. Um, this is circa 1987. Circa 1987. Winter of 87. Okay. And the name, some names will be changed to protect the innocent. And uh, there will be a... Uh, uh, a mature audience <laughs> warning so that the effect of the story can be uh, manifested properly. Okay, okay. This did occur during a period of time when Joe and I were active in our addiction. And we were on our way from Queens to Brooklyn to hook up with a work friend who we were then going to, he was then going to take us to his pickup spots um, around his way in the borough of Brooklyn. So we did meet up with him. We went to his spots. We copped our drugs. And now we were just riding around um, and kind of looking for a spot to park and chill and, and just use. Right, we were still in the borough of Brooklyn. All right, and we came upon what I can only describe as what I guess what you would get to a, a perfect analogy description would be like a um, a DUI checkpoint. Okay. Okay. So yeah. envision how a, a DUI checkpoint looks with the with, with the you know patrol cars and the cops standing outside, blah blah blah. But this was not what it was, but this is what it looked like. Okay, because back in, then, back then, New York didn't, have, didn't know anything about DUI checkpoints. But for whatever reason, there was just a whole bunch of cop cars on this block, car and patrol men outside of their cars, cops outside of their cars, walking around. We didn't know why. We didn't know which one down. We were just in a line of cars that were cruising through, so, so slowly through the block. And we noticed that for some cars, they were having the people step out. Um, and they were looking in the cars, blah, blah, blah. And, okay, so we had things that can be considered weapons, a baseball bat. We had a, uh, a weapon that we called a whalinator. So we made All up right. that name. Uh, <laughs> uh, which the root word is whale uh, uh, in terms of when you whale on somebody. Um, right, so right. we called the tool a whalinator. And, and all it was, all it was, was an old gas station hose where the pump was screwed off and it was just left with that steel little end nozzle. Yeah, yeah. That the that the pump screwed into, 
So the pump with the handle was missing. It just had that metal thing at the end and then the hose. And we cut the hose. So it had about maybe 18 inches of hose handle. And we just w- would whip it around. And if that steel yep. hit you in the head, it would knock you out. That's right. So we called it a whalinator. So we kept it in our cars <laughs> just for protection. Perfect. We didn't carry knives and guns and things like that. <clears throat> no, we carried oh. whalinators. <laughs> whalinators, right. That's awesome. So, but we weren't worried about that. It's, it's the fact that we had drugs on us. Um, and so it cut, they, our car came up next. We were pulling up, and cop came up to the window. Joe was driving. I'm in the passenger seat. Our friend is in the back seat. And we just look at each other and say, this is it. We're, we're going to get arrested. Uh, we've survived all this time <laughs> getting over and here yeah. we are. We're gonna we we just get caught on this block and we're gonna get arrested, caught with drugs, um, etc. And just as he was about to tell us to step out of the car, we hear somebody say, No, leave those guys alone. And we look, we turn and we look, and it's Greg Henry. Who is Greg Henry? <laughs> yes, so indeed. I, I'm on the edge of my seat at this point. Yes. We grew up with Greg Henry. Greg Henry became a police officer. And by some grace of God, Greg Henry was standing right in the middle of the street and said, no, I grew up with those guys. Leave them alone. Let them go. Joe got back in the car. And we, you know, we slowly cruised by Greg. And we heard him saying to the other officer, those guys are cool. Don't worry about them. Let them know. As we cruised by. Okay. You know, Joe just gave him the little half wave, you know, just, we just got out of there as soon as we can. And that's the Greg Henry story. And the irony is a backdrop to this. So we get saved by Greg Henry, but we used to hang out with Greg Henry. We played ball with Greg Henry and whatnot. But when Greg Henry, after he became a cop, now mind you, he, we, Greg Henry's older than us, so he became a cop at about 19 or 20, and so okay. he's about five years older than us, so when we were about 15, 16, he was, you know, 20, around there somewhere. Um, so at this time, you know, he's about 25, 26, we're 20, 21. Okay. So he's been on the force for about five, six years, and after he had moved out of where we lived, uh, the complex that we grew up in, we kind of took a disliking to him. <laughs> 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 you know, from, the tables just kind of turned about how we felt about him. And right. we kind of anointed him. L- listen, once we pronounce you a weasel, that's like the that's death knell. That's it. That's it, yeah. right? And we kind of looked at some of the things that he did and just the way he kind of carried himself after he became a cop, and we kind of just reached the conclusion, you know, we know what this guy's a weasel, and that, and that was it. Once we said, once we announced it and verbalized it out loud, you're done. You're done. And you're, you're out. You're off the books. You're out, right? And so we no longer had any respect for him, and um, that was that. Now Joe's older brother. They were they were peers. Greg and him were peers, and Joe's older brother is also a cop. So you know they kind of hung out together. 
And we used to tell Joe's older brother, I'm not going to use his name, um, you know, why we had a problem with Greg Henry and so on and so forth. And every time we saw him, we'd make fun of him behind his back, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, but look at us. We, we weren't mad enough to make fun of him to his face. We'd make fun of him behind his back as he was driving yeah, around right. the circle or walking through the building because his parents still lived in the, in the complex. So he would come by and visit them and we would see him. But it's amazing how this person then turns around, not knowing how you feel about them now, and ends up, you know, basically saving you. You know what I'm that saying? Is, just, yeah, just, that is yeah, that is. He had no idea that we kind of we kind of turned. He had no idea we turned on him, right? We never told him. We never wrote him a letter and said we're fishing. You, you never told him that he was appointed a weasel. <laughs> No, no, we never told him. You know, we we would just see him from afar and say, "Look at him! Look at the way he pulls his shopping cart, or look at the way he drives, or look at the way he walks in the building." You know, we would just make fun of him in a silly fashion. And looking back, of course. And if if Joe was here and you sat both of us down and put you know attached us to a lie detector and said, "Now tell us why all of a sudden you turn on Greg Hammer, we both look at us each other and we we wouldn't be able to tell you why. We wouldn't know. But there was something back then. That's all I can tell you. But obviously, we would have never thought six years later, five years later, that we would be in that position and it would be him that would just come out of the darkness and just show up. Out of all the places, we had no idea where he worked as a cop. We didn't know what borough he worked in. You know what I'm saying? We didn't know any of that. Yeah. Yeah, And for him to just show up there on that street at that moment and that time and save us was just yeah, an amazing thing. It's like divine intervention right there. It was, it was like divine intervention. And I, I was able many, 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 many years later, able, and this was after Joe had passed away, able to tell Greg Henry that story. And of course, he himself couldn't believe it because he didn't know any of the backstory information to, you know, why we showed up on that block at that moment in time um, in Joe's car. And he knows, what what were you guys doing in Brooklyn? Because we never left Queens. We never left Queens. Right, right. We had no reason to leave. Out of place for you to be in a different, yeah, wow. Wow, that is crazy the way sometimes things like that unfold, that. That is absolutely crazy. Yeah. So obviously after that experience, and even though we never saw Greg Henry in a fashion where we would would be able to go up to him and repent, right? Um, When we did see him from afar or something like that, our, our, our concept of him obviously changed. From that moment again, so it, it kind of went 360, right, or whatever it is, 180. Um, he was now back in our good graces. <laughs> um, but uh, he, yeah, he he did save us. So that's the Greg Henry story. Oh man, that's that's uh, that's pretty good. I think we we might uh, we might have to come up with some sort of title. In the program here, like, uh, you know, if somebody's on the fence about ready to leave and, and one of their peers gets back to them and they change their mind, 
you know, that person gets the Greg Henry Award for the week or something. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. <clears throat> Joe would find that extremely humorous. <laughs> to have an award named after Greg Henry, the Greg Henry, the Greg, the, the Greg Henry Award, man, that's pretty funny. There's a lot more stories, a little bit like that, where that came from, my friend. Well, you it's know, maybe some, you of the, the, some of them I have to look, I have to, you know, I have to like mentally screen them, right, and say, wait a second, is that, that going to be an appropriate story to tell, or you know, right, right, because some of them might not be appropriate. Um, might be uh, rated MA, mature audiences only. <laughs> right. Uh, that's all right. Yeah, well, maybe se- season four will unfold a couple more of them. Yep, yep, yep. I'll just have to clean clean, clean them up a little bit. That's it. Because most of the, the uh, quote-unquote action slash adventures slash experiences happened between 1980 in 1988. Okay. So that eight-year span is when everything went down. So 1980 to 1982, well, let's say 1980 to 1985 is relatively clean. 1985 to 1988 or the end of 87, you know, it does have some adult subject matter in it. <laughs> sure. So it would be rated MA, not PG-17. It would be rated MA. None of it rated X. No, nothing rated X. But mature audiences. So we just have to be careful. That's it. All right. There's well, a lot we, more, lot more, lot more stories. We should be able to manage to do some, some good editing and get the, uh, get the feeling of the story across anyway. Yep. So I know we're at the top of the hour or past the top of the hour. And we, I know we've got a couple of calls that have been holding a while. Why don't we take our usual, uh, top of the hour break and then come back and, uh, hit the, the backside. We will do that. We do see we've got a couple callers on hold, as the host said, so we'll treat you guys to a little music break, and on the other side, we will get to your calls.
up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you.
I know what you're waiting for. had you man i almost had you i i was waiting for a voice and i thought maybe he's gonna forget and then i know what you're waiting i couldn't get it in fast enough we do have a lot on tap from what i hear though so i'm gonna screen some phone calls and you're gonna hit the uh the uh the listeners with some x files huh yes sir well done all right first up la quita meets palo alto wants to know she says my husband drinks and I want him to stop. How do I make him stop? You can't make anybody stop. You can express your your desire and your interest in wanting them to stop um, and try and provide an environment that is conducive to that. Ultimately, um, you can't even put someone in a headlock and make them stop. It's something that they have to want to do on their own and be motivated on their own to do. And that's the sad, hard truth, unfortunately. Um, Truman from San Francisco says he stopped smoking meth but does drink a bottle of wine every night and wants to know, am I an addict? Well, even if you didn't have the meth issue in your past, but you were drinking a bottle of wine a night, I would say that in and of itself is a problem. That's number one. And number two, if you get to the point where you have to ask that question, like, am I, in, you know, have I crossed over into addict land? Um, that's usually fine. And then uh, Celeste from Oakland. My husband and I drink, but I've been thinking of quitting. How will it affect our relationship if I do? That's a great question. And it can go one of two ways in the relationship. The other party can be supportive. It can be secure in where they are um, or aren't and want nothing but the best for you and support you and what you choose to do that's going to better yourself or it can be the opposite. They can uh, sabotage you emotionally, intellectually, mentally, etc. And make it seem like the choice you've made to improve yourself, do something that's in your best interest, um, somehow has a negative bearing on them. So usually when it goes to the negative side, uh, there's already existing issues in the relationship. And it just manifests itself in how they, you know, the other party responds to someone Cause it's, it's like a person saying, I'm going to start working out, exercising, or trying to lose weight. Or, you know, anything to improve themselves, no matter what it may be. And if the other party takes issue with it, that's a bad sign. So that's that. All right, let's mix it up. 
let's take some phone calls real quick. We have Anna from Fresno. Welcome to the show. How can we help you? Hi. Um, well, um, I have a friend, and uh, I'm pretty sure I seen him last night, and I'm pretty sure that he may be getting high. Um, I myself, I am in recovery, and um, he was once upon once upon a time also in recovery with me. And um, I'm not really sure how to go about it. You know, I don't want to speculate, but then again, I'm also very concerned. You know, I know that his lifestyle is a little bit hectic right now, but I just want to find a way to be supportive and not um, too pushy. You know, I just want to know the best way I can support him with me thinking that he's relapsed. Well. I'm pretty sure. I, I know something's up. I'm pretty sure he's relapsed. I just want to know how I can be supportive to him right now. How do you know that the person has relapsed? Um, well, uh, he came by last night, and I just seen the look in his eyes. I mean, his eyes were really big, and he was his speech was really slurred, and um, he just he just wasn't himself. You know, um, usually really outgoing, and he very he didn't eat anything, so. And I've known this guy for okay. many years, so I, you know, something's up. Okay, good. So, <clears throat> when you're dealing with somebody that you care about, and um, you want to have an impact on their life, uh-huh. you don't pull any punches. Okay. You don't dance around it. No micro steps. You. You have to hit them with, and, and pardon this expression, you have to hit them with a kill shot. What do I mean by that? That means if your gut tells you that this person is has relapsed and is using consistently, then that's where you start. Okay. And the reason why you start there and you hit them with a kill shot is it. When you get when someone hits you with a kill shot, mentally and emotionally, right? And so it's an emotional, not a physical kill shot. Just to be clear, right? I'm not saying you go up and give them punch them. When you hit them with a mental and emotional kill shot by confronting them on them using, right? Right off the bat, no BSing around the bush, okay? It leaves them very little wiggle room. Very little wiggle room. And either it's going to be a great relief for them and they'll be able to come clean and be honest with you, or the defenses go sky high, the wall goes up, and the denial starts flowing. But either one of those either one of those, a strong denial or the, the honesty, okay, you re- respond to both of them the same way. If they come clean, they come honest, they said, yeah, I've been struggling and blah, 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 then you obviously, <clears throat> that's not the time to beat someone down under the table. Absolutely. You want to find out, like you said, how best can you support them to get them back on track. And the same thing, if they have this extreme denial, okay, and, and you'll know it. You'll know it. And 
when when you when you ask the question and you confront the person or you care front the person, right? right? You're asking from your gut and you're only responding to what your gut tells you. Not so it's it's almost like it's like you're telepathically communicating with them. You're not even getting wrapped up in their words. You're trying to feel what they're saying. And so you'll know it when you feel it, whether or not they're telling you the truth, whether or not they're being honest. And if they're strong in their denial and your feelings tell you, no, you, you are using, okay? You do the same thing. You try and find how, how best can I support you? I know you're, you know, you're in denial right now. You don't want to cop it. I'm just want to let you know. I'm here for you. I'm not here to beat you up. I want you, I want you to get right. So you see how the response is the same either way? Yes. And this way, if, it's the, if there's a strong denial and maybe the next day or the next week or the next month, who knows, they circle back around to you and come back to you and say, yeah, you were right. I was scared. I didn't want to. For whatever the reason is, they didn't want to come clean. One thing they'll never be able to say is that <clears throat> you, you put me down or, you know, you didn't support you, – you didn't act like you wanted to support me. You don't want to give them an excuse. You know what I'm saying? Right. So – whether they're copying to it and being honest or whether they're in strong denial, you always want to be supportive and appear supportive, sound supportive, and feel supportive. Right. So it gives them no excuse to say, oh, I didn't like the way you came at me or you didn't seem like you cared about me. No, you'll never be able to say that about me. Okay. I'm, I'm clear in what I'm asking you. I'm firm in what I'm stating, but I'm letting you know I care about you, and that's the only reason why I'm speaking to it. Because if I didn't care about you at all, It'll be none of my business. You could go do what you want to do. Right. And then the ball is in their court after you speak your piece. And and that's and by the way, this is all about you, not about them. Because all you have to do as a person who cares, as a person who is has an interest in that person and, and how they are doing is feed the that self interest and it's not a negative to do that by extending that care so that you you'll be able to hold on to that I reached out. I offered right. myself. And and although they may re- have rejected me at that time, I can live with that because I offered myself. Whereas if you never reach out, you never pr- pry and put yourself out there because you're worried about them rejecting you. You'll always say, well, you know, damn, why didn't I say something? Or, you know, you'll always beat yourself up about that. Trust me, you'll get over the rejection. Right. It's not reaching out and not trying to help and not trying to support the person that people struggle with getting over. Follow me? Yes, I do. Um, I've had the same experience before. Um I've had a close friend, and I knew that they had relapsed, and I didn't take the initiative to say anything to them. You know, I never reached out to support them. I felt like, if anything, that I would be, um, you know, making, I would make a problem for them. And the last thing I wanted to do was make a problem with them. This was in treatment. So um, now that certain people have left treatment and they're falling off, I feel like I don't want to make that same mistake I did when I was, you know, in treatment. I don't want 
you know, to not um, bring the subject up. You know, I feel like if anything is important, it is important to address the issue, you know. And yes. I just, you know, I want everybody to be well. I know it's a, a struggle because it's a struggle for myself, but um, I just mm-hmm. want my peers to do it right along with me. You know, I know that um, they can support me. I can support them. I just want to know the best way to do that. And uh, thank you for that information. Um, I will definitely use that. Thank you. And I hope you can uh, call back and let us know how, you know, what the experience was like for you and how it turned out. Absolutely. I definitely will. I'm a big fan of the show. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hope I didn't cut her off. I wasn't sure if she was done. I think that was good. That was good time. Good timing. Yeah. Um, yeah, the key is if you care about the person, the way you show is by holding them accountable. And you can hold the person accountable with love and support and, and all of that good stuff. You can hold them accountable and um, and not be, you know, a jerk about it. Um, and, and, again, they're really the byproduct of it, meaning that by you reaching out, they, you know, there's an opportunity for them to uh, – you know, if something is going on, there's an opportunity for them to share that and maybe get some help with that. Um, but it's also an opportunity for you, me, the person who, you know, wants to say something, but sometimes maybe, you know, fear pulls us back. And usually it's that fear of being rejected and saying, get away from me, mind your own business, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, right. all that stuff in your mind, um, you just got to put that in your back pocket. Right. Got to put it in your back pocket. You gotta say what you gotta right, say. Absolutely. You get, yes, yes, yes. You can't. Uh, you can't let it. Um, you can't let the fear rule you. So, all right, let's go to John from the not so great San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, Orville? Hey. Uh, my question is: Are psychedelics just as addictive as illegal drugs? Can you repeat that? Are psych meds just as addictive as illegal drugs? Well, I don't know, and I don't know if Mr. Producer um, knows. Um, I don't. We. I don't know all of the properties of all psychotropic medication. So I'll use air quotes when you use the term. Are they addictive? Okay. <clears throat> um. Usually, there would be warnings on them if they may have addictive qualities to them, meaning that there might be something in them, a specific thing that's a part of the whole medication that they put together that might make it addictive to some, not to everybody, but to some, okay? Um, But... It's hard to say, you just get a hard, fast answer that, yes, all psychotropic medications are addictive. No, I, I wouldn't say that because I don't know about them, uh, their chemical properties and makeup to that extent to be able to say that. However, <clears throat> however, like anything, even lemonade can become psychologically addictive. 
anything can become addictive or you can become dependent on anything. Now, some things that a person becomes dependent on are for a good purpose. You follow that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So some people can become dependent on something that serves a good purpose. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is taking a psychotropic medication that is deemed to be very beneficial for them and everything bears that out, meaning that it's they, even they have said, hey, this has helped me, and then people looking at them and observing them say, hey, it seems like it has helped you a lot in terms of just what we see and observe, okay? Um, mm-hmm. Like FDA And the approved, person right? says, excuse me? FDA approved type? Like well, approved by the government, hope, basically. Yeah, I hope it's only FDA approved. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't know where it's coming from or, what, you know, if it's been tested or what have you. Mm-hmm. But if a person has, is, is on psychotropic medication and it's, and it's helping them and they know, then they're aware that it's helping them and uh, they say to themselves, I'm going to stay on this because it's beneficial to me, okay? Um, that's another way of, of looking at, hey, you know, that they have become dependent on it, but it's not for a negative reason. You follow me? Mm-hmm. Okay. They're taking it and they're using it for a good reason because they're getting a good result from it and it's helping them. As far as becoming addicted to it, i.e. that if they, if they stopped, they would have withdrawals or physical withdrawals or so on and so forth. Some of them may have certain qualities like that and then and the doctor may say, hey, well, you know, you can't just stop cold turkey. You have to stop, you know, be tapered off of it, you know. For various reasons. Would there be any way to make a legal drug safe for use? Did you say illegal or legal? Yeah, illegal, safe for use. Like the government can like makes the illegal drugs safe for use, like as nicotine or tobacco or some kind of like alcohol. You know, it's legal. You can buy at the store. Like for, for, like now because of the marijuana thing, that's going to be big. And I was thinking like if it's, if that if that drug market is going to open up to where. You know what I'm saying? To where things become more available now that you're legalizing everything. Yes, but legalizing something doesn't necessarily make it so that someone won't become addicted to it or won't become won't abuse it. So it really doesn't matter ultimately. Mm-hmm. Do Do you think that more people are going to use marijuana because they they make it legal? I think it's tempting for people who don't use it at all to be like, this is legal, I can't get in trouble for it. So I don't know how big of a, of a percentage of those people are, but you would think that okay. it's in stores eventually within the next next five, ten years. How, how, I, I how, think, how, how is it going to be on the legal status? I think uh, the people, let's, let's say, let's say in, 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 a, in a different world, if let's say marijuana just became flat out legal, right? Mm-hmm. I think People who were going to try it anyway were still going to try it. You understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And people who aren't, who people who weren't going to try it aren't going to try it, whether it's legal or illegal. So same thing with alcohol. You know, people who don't want to drink or have no taste for it or whatever, and just because it's legal, then it doesn't matter to them. They're just not going to do it because it's just not something they're interested in. Same thing with cigarettes or tobacco, as you said. 
mm-hmm. it really depends on you know the person and what what their interests are and what they're looking for. Marijuana being illegal didn't stop people from using it. Is I guess is the point I'm making. Mm-hmm. So as a provider of a treatment program, it doesn't matter to me whether they make something legal or illegal because all that matters is if somebody abuses it and needs help getting off of it, that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. That makes whether sense. it's legal or illegal doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It, it can be unsafe for use at times. Certain things can be unsafe. Like, like anything's unsafe. Like water could be bad for you, for example. Too much water. Yeah, you get it from the wrong place. Yeah. Alcohol is legal, but if you drink too much, bad things can happen. Yeah, you could die, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, there you have it. Thank you. All right? All right. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Mr. Producer? Yes, sir. Don't think I don't know, and I know you you, you know, uh, that those questions, especially here in California, of marijuana and its legality are going to come more and more into play. Oh, um, of course. And now I think in January of 2018 is when the, uh, the retail aspect of the law goes into effect. Um, so who knows what impact that's going to have. But the legality of whatever the personal use amount was that they made lawful in California went into effect last last January. Right, <clears throat> right. <clears throat> so, well, it'll have an impact for sure. It's just we'll have to wait to see to what extent and how that is going to manifest itself. We've got something oh. breaking. We've we've got something breaking here. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be to your dismay or not, but uh, the Giants have named who the starter will be this week, and it will not be the rookie they drafted. It will be Geno Smith, the former Jets quarterback who fizzled out in on the other side of town, if you will. I forgot they had him. They do indeed. Uh, he's been named the starter, and a little tidbit, which is uh, – Kind of an interesting tidbit with um, society today and how culturally aware everyone is becoming, whether by choice or by force. Uh, when Smith starts Sunday, he will be the first African-American quarterback to start a game for the Giants, who are currently the only franchise never to have started an African-American quarterback. And I believe their two backups are African-American, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, David Who Webb. The, no, and, Davis. And I know Geno Smith is black. David Webb, or whatever the guy's name is. What's his yeah, name? Davis Webb. Davis guy? Webb. Davis Webb. Yeah, I know he had some weird Davis. Yeah, Davis yep. Webb. So there you have it. The Giants will be. They were currently the only team in the NFL never had to have started so, an African American quarterback. That goes down this Sunday. Okay, so Davis Webb is not black. Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I, I thought he I'm, was. I, no. I, I think he. I thought I saw him on the sidelines. I knew it wasn't Geno Smith. I was looking at. 
Geno Smith has a distinct look about him. Yeah, no, definitely. He this, uh, I, actually, he has an Eli look about him. <laughs> he yeah. He similar facial expressions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, what I do know, Davis Webb is out of Cal. He is the quarterback I was thinking about. And scouts were actually pretty high on him. There were some scouts that thought he was one of the best quarterbacks uh, in, in that draft. Um, so it would be interesting to see him. The co- it goes on to say McAdoo says at some point Webb will get an opportunity as well. Uh, it will also, another interesting tidbit for you New Yorkers out there, Geno Smith will become the first quarterback in the Super Bowl era to start a game for both the Giants and the Jets. You know, I'm just about done with your damn uh, New York Giants and New York Jets updates. <laughs> so there you especially have it. Since, we had to... <laughs> especially since you're headlining Geno Smith. Yes, indeedy. Well, we had to get we had to get all that in as it was late breaking. Uh, so there you have it. We do have a. You want to uh, hit them with a couple more X files while I screen this caller on. Sure. We have another caller that's called it. Sure. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, Roderick has a very good question. It ties into our topic today from Sam Bruno. He wants to know why do people who are in recovery and active keep relapsing when problems arise? Great question. When you have not flipped that instinct, that instinctual reaction of how you deal with adversity, how you deal with problems, how you deal with negative feelings, or any feelings for that matter that are uncomfortable, that you don't like, from looking to escape it, i.e. medicate it, rather than just experience it and deal with it and talk about it and push through if that hasn't occurred yet, then you always will revert back to whatever the instinct is that has developed. And for addicts, that instinct is to avoid it. So I'm going to avoid whatever the issue is. I'm going to avoid whatever my feelings are. I'm going to avoid whatever the experience is. And what is, what is the, the, the main method that addicts use to avoid? They use So it's, it's shifting the thinking away from using as an option to deal with those things, those realities, whether they be feelings, experiences, issues, incidences that occur in life, whatever it is. Using drugs to cope with them has to be removed as an option or, or, an, or an alternative. And until that happens, while it always remains an option, while it's always out there as a as a viable alternative for you, it'll be used, no pun intended, as an alternative. So the addict has to go through that process of removing it and then continue going through the process and yeah, it's a slow evolution of correcting that instinct 
to where when there's an experience that creates a lot of feelings and the feelings may not be comfortable feelings, et cetera, that the instinctive reaction is not to escape it, avoid it, and medicate, but to feel it, experience it, talk about it, continue to experience it, continue to talk about it, and then experience what it's like to experience the feeling dissipating as you are talking about it, coping with it through talking rather than using, through exploring it rather than using, i.e. exploring the feelings, getting underneath them, where is it coming from, what's driving it, what's at the root of this, you know, all of that. And over time, you'll become, you know, very good at doing this quickly. So it won't be a long, drawn-out process. While you're learning it, it might seem like it's long, drawn-out. But once you learn it and then you start practicing it, it becomes a very quick process. It becomes, and then that becomes the instinct. Not to medicate. But how about this rhyme? Not to medicate, but to activate. Activate very the clever. new method of, of dealing with it. Very clever. <laughs> All right. Who do we got? <laughs> it says on my screen, Grumpy V from Fresno. All right, Grumpy V, welcome to the show. How can we help you? And I didn't Grumpy. label you that. It was the producer. Just Grumpy B? <laughs> Wow. It's not me, the producer. That's what he wrote, Grumpy V. Oh, my name is Alexander V, and uh, yes, I am from Fresno. And do you guys know who the first black quarterback was to play in the Super Bowl? Um, he's giving us trivia. I'll let Mr. Producer, you want to go first, and I'll tell you my answer to that. Oh, boy, the first black quarterback to, to play. To ever play in the Super Bowl. To ever play in a Super Bowl. Uh my goodness. I mean I want I want to say Warren Moon, but I don't know if he ever played in a Super Bowl. But the two that come to um, mind okay, are Warren I'm, Moon and Randall. I, I, no, 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 no. You you had your guess. Nope. You had your guess. You had nope. your guess. All right, all right. Guess now. Um No, I'm not do I I I'm just gonna, had a I'm gonna make, trivia I'm question gonna, for you. But I, I have I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get. This. I'm gonna tell you what my my intellectual answer is, and then what my gut answer is. So I'll know which one. I'll know whether or not what my lesson is for today. So my intellectual answer was going to say Doug Williams. That is absolutely correct. The Washington Redskins. Okay. okay. Um, my gut so, answer. I was going to say Vince Evans of, Oak, of the Oakland Raiders, just in case he might have got in there for one of those games. <laughs> Doug Williams, yes. Yeah, indeed. yeah. Doug Williams, Washington Redskins, and uh, I forgot what year it was. Uh, but, I remember. Uh, no, I remember now. That was 1988. So, he actually yeah. won the MVP. He won the MVP yeah. of the Super Bowl. Right. But he was the so, first African American quarterback to yeah. play in the Mr. Super Bowl. Mr. Producer, I think right. I think we have to chastise the caller because ah. he did not <laughs> ask the question correctly. 
because oh, okay. he could have asked. Right. He could have actually asked almost a three-part question. One, can you name the first black quarterback to participate in the Super Bowl? Can you name the first black quarterback to start a Super Bowl? Right, right, can you right. Name the first black quarterback to participate, start in, and win an MVP of a Super Bowl. That's right. Yeah, that's not my team anyway. I was just curious to know if you guys knew that. You guys <laughs> are the Einsteins of recovery over here. So, my, my, All right. my question is, um, how do I support my wife while I'm in treatment? Or girlfriend or partner, how do I support them while I'm in treatment? What do you mean by support? Like, since I'm not financially helping support them now, I mean, how do I go about to encourage my other half to keep pushing in the right direction and not get uh, um, discouraged because I'm in treatment because I'm the other half, you know, and two paychecks make a whole rather than one, right. just one. You know what I'm saying? So yep, since yep. I've come to treatment, and, it's made it that much harder for my other half to support, you know, the family as well as pay bills and do everything else while I'm in treatment. How do I keep her, okay. you know, how do, how do I go about that? Okay. Before, I, before I, we get started, Mr. Producer, how much time we got left? Uh, we're good. We got about seven minutes here. Okay. Uh, first things first. Be very humble. <laughs> yeah. Always oh be humble. Yeah. Maintain your maintain your humility. But um, there have been many over the years um, who have been in the similar predicament. Both in New York, I've known, and in California, I've known, and unfortunately, some who have been pulled out of treatment because of this dilemma. Right. Whereas they, you know, they were needed to help, you know, hold the household together financially. You know, the the other half was struggling, struggling mightily, and, and and you know was just barely holding on. And so they felt this enormous pull. Um, and it's not a pull that anyone can argue with, meaning that it's. It's very easy to say, well, you know, your recovery is more important. Your recovery comes first, blah, 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 blah. It's very easy to say that, okay, Um, when the reality of life is pulling at people, okay? Okay. And so, and there have been people who have been pulled out and had the wherewithal and had enough under their belt to hold it down, meaning – maintain their recovery and move, you know, move on. And there's people who've been pulled out and didn't have enough and unfortunately fell down. Right. Nobody can predict and nobody knows who's where. All we can say is only you and your better half can have the conversation of, you know, you know, what are the intricacies of, of, of the real life situation 
that can determine whether or not can she hold on longer? Where are you at in terms of, you know, your timing and, and your planning and all of that stuff? And how do those things intercede or intersect with each other? Um, and, you know, and what's the, you know, the game plan and the timeline and all of that stuff. All of that has to be part of the conversation to come to some mutual, mutually agreed upon understanding. Because the last thing that the person that's in treatment wants yeah. is for this to become a divisive issue in the relationship. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Meaning... Well, while you were trying to, you know, do your thing, I was holding it down and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. Yes. Because all of that, because all of that is truth, okay, what we want to make sure is, is that for the other party, the one that's struggling and dealing with the struggle on the, the reality side. So you're not on the reality side. She's on the reality side. You're on the surreal side. So she's dealing with the struggle on the reality side. And so when I started out by saying you have to be humble, we laugh, but I'm actually serious because you have to be humble and extremely respectful of what the other party is doing while you're trying to get your life back on track. And you have to be open to the struggle that that's causing on the other side. It doesn't mean, however, it does. This is where parties have to be careful. It doesn't mean that because you're trying to get your life back on track so that you can become, like you said, part of that whole, right? Yeah. In, in the proper way, in your right mind, right spirit, and the whole nine. It doesn't mean that what you're doing is any less important than what the other person's doing. Okay. It's just different. Sometimes we lose track of that. Oh, well, what you're doing is not as important as what I'm doing. So what do you say to that? I mean, you know. Oh, so if if I'm you, if I'm you, and, and the other party says, well, what I'm doing is much more important than what you're doing. My answer to that is, you're absolutely right. You, you know why that's the answer? And by the way, listen to the words I use. I didn't say what you said was true. I right. just said you're right. Oh, okay. You are right. I mean, okay. I mean, yeah, because I'm not paying any bills and I'm in treatment and I ain't got nothing to worry about but nothing but my nothing but my sobriety while she's okay. out there taking care of the bills and Mr. this and that and supporting me and whatever I need. So I get it. Mr. Producer? Yes, sir. Mr. Producer, are you still there? Oh. Oh yeah. It just went over it just went over his head. I I I witnessed that, but I assumed you were gonna Maybe reiterate. Yeah. This is how. This is how. This is how. This is how subtle it is. Be very careful to not let this go over your head because it's very subtle. If she says that to you, yeah, okay, and your response to that is you're right, okay. And the reason yeah. why that's your response is because all you're doing is honoring, okay, What's the she struggle saying? that she's in. It, exactly. 
You are right. recognizing it, acknowledging it, and honoring what her experience is. Yes, you're absolutely but right. Yes. But that's, but, but that's all that is required because it is equally important that you recognize, not the other party. It's nice if they do, but don't expect it. It's nice if it happens, but don't set expectations because expectations lead to you know what. It's more important that you recognize that what you are doing is just as important because what you're doing is ensuring the long-term viability, survivability of this whole family reunification. Right. Okay. It's just different things. Right. But they're both very important because let's say you fall Let's knock on wood. We're not saying we want that to happen. But let's say you just fall by the wayside. Okay. It doesn't change anything for her in terms of what she has to do. Correct? No, it doesn't. Absolutely. She still has to do what she has to do. Yeah. The change uh, is that when you come into the picture in all of your glory, right. all you're doing is enhancing. Yeah. You're enhancing everything. You're making things extremely more beneficial for both of you together. Right. You're you're just coming in like a, like a, I don't want to say a hurricane, but like a, you know, like a a, a tsunami of positivity and strength and what have you, bringing that to the table now. And just, it then just pushes everything upward. Okay. Downward, pushes everything upward. Right. But it is certainly not for you, let me just say this, it is certainly not for you to expect from her to give recognition to what you're doing. If it happens, if it comes, wonderful. But it is not to be expected. The recognition needs to be self-recognition. You just need to know in your own heart, in your own mind, that what you're doing is extremely important for you first, because without you there's nothing. Right. right. It's for you first, and the beneficiaries of that are her, your children, your extended family, your friends, etc. Okay. All right, I understand. I'm a pretty humble guy anyway, though. Good. I just I need to be a little bit more humble and understanding, better. Um. Yeah. I get, I get it, I get it. I totally understand. Uh, all I can do okay. is support. And if if the question may come up again, then I know what to say and do. And I appreciate that. And um, thanks for having me on your radio show. And you guys have a good evening and uh, happy late all right. Thanksgiving. All right. Thank you. You too. You all right. too, Grumpy V. <laughs> <laughs> How are we doing? It was good. Uh, we're we're well behind at this point, but I figured um, finishing the conversation with that gentleman was more important. It was a valid question, uh, a really good question, actually. Uh, we haven't gotten asked that too much, um, but it certainly pertain is pertinent to a lot of people here. So I let you wrap that up, but we're we're well behind it. So I'm gonna play a little bit of the song that we got in honor of the great Joe Williams, and I'm gonna have to fade that out into the show close. Okay. 
All right. Thank you all for giving us your ongoing support, people who called in to participate and folks who uh, just listened through the archives or when we're live. We do appreciate it. We're looking forward to a great season four. Have a safe couple of weeks, productive uh, couple of weeks, and a fun couple of weekends. We will see you all on the next one. our show for this evening thank you for listening be sure to listen to our next broadcast tuesday at 4 p.m pacific standard time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash ocg radio like us friend us and follow us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash ocg and on twitter at ocg You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.